Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. What's up? Big day. Finally. Very exciting. Yeah. Another another guest episode. The yeah. <laughs> listeners are probably getting... No, I think they like them, but uh, yeah. probably wondering what we're doing. Yeah, having so many guests in a row. But that's all right, because we have a very exciting guest. Uh, one that we've been trying to get for a, a year. I mentioned on episode number three, I believe... Uh, Meeting him at a restaurant, and it was uh, one of the most ex- one of my first really exciting LA experiences. And uh, and now he's here with us. It's very exciting, Maurice Lamarche. <laughs> Hi guys, <laughs> I got to tell you that's it's so funny. You're right. I remember the, I remember meeting you. It was at that Brazilian yep. s- sliced meat, st- uh, you know, uh, place, um, uh, Steak Pirates, I think yeah. it's called. <laughs> and uh, you know, they come with the big skewers, mm-hmm. you know, and just. Just cut you, you know, however much meat you want, pounds and pounds of it. And you uh, you asked me if I would do the show. And I said, sure, sure. Sometime in the next couple of weeks. Here it is. <laughs> about, about a year years. and a half later. <laughs> uh, well, and, and, and about a side of a cow later as well. Because I, I never stopped going to that place, even after my colon completely blocked. I just yeah. I, deal uh, with it, Doc. I love that place. That place is, uh, it just, it's like they, they're daring you to eat there. It's like, what do you think? You think you can do it? I went. Th- I went there, and I I never really been to a place like that. And it's just like, hey, you want a meat wrapped in another meat? Yes, that <laughs> sounds wonderful. And uh, but it uh, it was it was neat because I had heard I had heard of that place and uh, really enjoyed it. And I saw I saw there were two celebrity sightings there in one night. You and then a guy named Tom Jane who played. Sure, I know Tom. Oh, okay, all right, the Punisher. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So it was very exciting. Tom and I, uh, not only uh, for a little while we were at the same voiceover agency, so I see him there, but hmm. he and, and his wife um, go to this sushi place in Studio City that's mm-hmm. you know, kind of world famous for the, uh, <clears throat> the rather rigid uh, uh, r- r- rules that you've got to follow when, you, when uh-huh. you eat there. It's called Sushi Nozawa, but he's known as the... He's modeled after the soup character on on Seinfeld, ah. or rather, the character was modeled on a combination of him and the actual soup guy in New York. Yeah. So anyway, so I'd always see Tom there. Yeah, so, so I didn't know Tom was there that night. Huh. Wow, wow! I should that? have said that. Everyone knows that. Oh, it's just a just a big happy family. In Hollywood. It's a celebrity carnivore's delight. <laughs> <laughs> you know who introduced me to that place is Kevin Michael Richardson, who's oh. the Joker on yeah ba- on the Batman, right? As opposed to Mark Hamill, who's the Joker on Batman, right? But uh, Kevin brought me over to that place. Hmm. Well, let's talk. Let's let's use that to reset for a second, because I like I've been telling people, my friends, like we, get, we got Maurice Lamarche on the show, you know, and about half of them are like awesome, and the other half are like, <laughs> who, who is that? Yeah. And then so, I, you was know, that I, a French male exotic dancer, <laughs> Maurice Lamarche? And, and then and then I name off a couple of credits, and people are invariably impressed. So let's, yeah. Tyler, let's tell the audience who Maurice Lamarche is. And I'm going to go. I'm He's gonna a go. man who eats a lot of meat. <laughs> He's a man with blocked arteries, and yet somehow he's still alive. When I saw how much meat you put away, I thought I got to get this guy on my show. Exactly. Oh wait, he's got Before he he's dies. got credits. That's okay. right. Okay. <laughs> um, but no, I'll go with biographically. By which I mean my biographically. Uh, I for I grew up loving the real Ghostbusters. Thank you. And uh, and then I got older, and I loved. Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain. Thank then you. I got older and I loved Futurama. Thank you. Oh, and the critic. And the critic. That was a little earlier. Right, and, and sandwiched in there, and one of my favorite jobs of all time. And it's, uh, and so just, you know, in in uh, Real Ghostbusters, you uh, did Egon. Doctor Egon Spangler collects spores, mold, and fungus. That's weird. <laughs> uh, and then, and then, of course, you did. Uh, I'd say perhaps most famous, most famously, the Brain. Yes, my friend, we shall take over the world. Come, Tyler, back to the lab. <laughs> Although you won't fit in the cage. Perhaps Dave can. <laughs> uh, this is, there's going to be a lot of really fan-type things uh, on my and David's part, I apologize, in which we're just going to be like, oh, that's awesome. Um, and then, of course... That's cool, uh, I love that, because okay. as you were saying, Dave, it's like having a secret identity. Uh-huh. You know, half mm-hmm. your friends knew what I did for a living, and the other half were like, "Huh," eh. but then when you say, "Well, he's 
and you do the reveal, uh-huh. he's the guy who did the voice of this character or that character from your childhood, which is the way I felt about Mel Blanc watching oh, yeah. him on Johnny Carson. I thought the first time I ever saw him bring him out was like I didn't see the intro, and I just thought, why is Johnny Carson interviewing an accountant? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because Mel just looked like a little Jewish accountant. And then, you know, it's like all of a sudden Bugs's voice and Daffy's voice and Foghorn's voice come out of this little guy in a polyester suit. And you go, oh, my God, that's magic. So for me, getting to be, you know, sort of the low sodium version of that to mm-hmm. a generation, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, before post Mel, but, you know, pre me um, or, or post me as well, I guess. Anyway, getting to be that is a cool thing. You yeah. Know? OK. But um where was I going with this? <laughs> oh, I was apologizing for being too fanboyish. Oh no, no, that's okay. I, I, so I'm, I'm saying that that it, it, for me it, it is it is a lot of fun. I don't I, I I I don't mind any of any of this attention because I can also go into you know soup plantation and have a sandwich and nobody knows. So <laughs> it does seem like a, a a pretty cool version of fame where the people who do recognize you. There's no question they know specifically who you are, as opposed to like somebody who's you know maybe like a like a higher level character actor, and everyone everyone's like it's that guy. I don't know his name, right? But I might approach him anyway and say, "Hey, you're that guy in that <laughs> thing," you know. But and so, and like, so half the time with those guys, you know, living in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. half the time with those guys, you're not sure if they're that guy from that thing or they were you know in your neighborhood two right. two houses ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know. And, so and it's so, so innocuous like, here in Los Angeles. To yeah, I've done that people plenty of times. You see on television all the time. Like uh, someone will walk into a bar, and I'll like perk, perk up and like I'll, like half wave because like oh I think I know that person. I'd be like oh wait no they were on. Good I did Girls. that with Mandy <laughs> Patinkin the other night <laughs> at the sushi bar. I was like I looked over and he happened to be looking at me, and I know he has no idea who I am or what I do. Although I'm sure his kids watch Pinky and the Brain, but I mean I looked over and there he was, and he was we made eye contact for a second, and I had that. I didn't go, oh, Mandy Patinkin. I went, oh, there's an old friend of mine. How you doing? Oh, no, wait. <laughs> Just the guy from Chicago Hope. And, and, you look like, and you look like a crazy person exactly. of some sort. But, uh, so. but yeah, and then uh, so continuing on, you did uh, a slew of voices on The Critic and Futurama. And, uh, well, 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 The Critic. <laughs> the one voice I didn't do was John Lovitz. <laughs> and that stinks. <laughs> um. John and always hated that I did him so well and <laughs> loved it at the same time. I have to imagine, yeah, I uh, just things that I've heard. We've had a lot of comedians on this show who've worked with him, and they just say that he's like a nice guy who seems to kind of have an ego, but he might be faking it. Nobody really knows. Um, and he just seems like a, like a kind of a delightful guy. But uh, now, speaking of, uh, speaking of Futurama, there are several characters on there that I enjoy. But perhaps my favorite character... And you don't have to voice him because we already did the audio levels, and I feel like it requires being loud. I love Hedonism Bot. <laughs> He's just, I don't know why. I, I was just, sure you were going to say Morbo, and I was all ready to. Oh, I'm sorry. Lean back from the mic and, mic and, and do <laughs> kittens give Morbo gas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I, I like them all, but for some reason, just the way. First off, the design of. Uh, hedonism bot is hilarious. Well, he's he's got he's got his own built-in lounge. I mean, yeah. he's, he's actually part of of a Roman uh, you know city or whatever that thing yeah. is that he's on. <laughs> That's part of him. And then and then the way he's written the things that they, he's given to say and do, and then of course your voice. Just it's it's one of those instances where it's first off, I love the idea. Why would anybody build this robot? Like, what <laughs> purpose does he could he possibly serve? But that's uh, he doesn't. He serves he serves himself. There he's, you go. He's hedonism bot. He's the bottom. <laughs> I mean, I what I don't know why he probably had himself built. <laughs> but um, uh, he is, of course, he lounges back and loves to be fed grapes. And loves to have his nipples sanded. <laughs> and he has an unseen assistant named Jumbe. <laughs> um, He's kind of a combination of Charles Lawton, but they didn't want the voice, you know, deep. Right, right. So I folded in like a little, uh, a little um, Margaret Dumont from the, the, the from the Marx Brothers movie. Oh man! I just felt he needed to be an old woman, sort of. Sort of <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, Groucho. <laughs> that is folding. Where did you just come from? Um, and so I guess uh, so. Yeah, that all that was to say, and I appreciate you doing the voices so that people can can say, "Oh yes, I know that voice. I know that guy. Um, He's not just a guy who talks about meat. He actually has a job in television." <laughs> right. And so, um, 
so now that we've uh, you know in, uh, introduced you, let's get to know you uh, a little bit. Um, you are you know probably one of the most uh, prolific uh, you know voice actors working. I mean, yeah, but apparently I don't know how to work a microphone because I just chest bumped it. <laughs> um, and I mean, if you look at IMDb, you've got like a million credits. You know, no, and Frank Welker has a million. Oh, credits. Okay, that's true. Uh, Frank Welker has the longest IMDb listing on on the entire like program of really? the website of IMDb. He has more credits than any other human being on that thing. Um, last time I printed mine out just for fun, it was nine pages. Oh my gosh! And I thought that's it's. Uh, I should have a bigger house. <laughs> I really should. What have I all done this with work? I really should be doing better. Yeah, my um, my, my one IMDb credit in which I was especially uh, thanked. <laughs> Still pretty impressive, I think. So, because who knows what he's thanking me for? Being a great guy, I don't know. But uh, what were you thanked for? Um, I was uh, a a guy who's been on the show directed uh, a, a mockumentary for the film The Watchmen called Under the Hood, and ah. uh, and uh, I. It, friends with him and so uh i especially thanked you were especially thanked even though i don't think i did anything to wor- to warrant that so you would prefer right. to have been ordinarily thanked <laughs> gosh you know that's a good question i do like the idea of spe- being specially thanked specially thanked yeah all these there's no credit for ordinarily thanked you don't see that right <laughs> i think i'm going to do that whenever i finally produce a show of my own I'm there just you gonna, go ordinary thanks to yeah. the, the following Smith. people did us a solid <laughs> <laughs> um but how did you uh you know i mean You've been doing this for years. I mean, how did you get into it? Is it something that you always had a passion for? I mean, I know that you you did stand up comedy for a while. It's funny, you know. I was, my son and I were just talking about. You know, he, he's a and he he hates when I do this, <clears throat> but he's a very talented musician. He's he's going to be fifteen next month, but he picked up the guitar and just took to it. Whether he makes it his profession or not is is his business completely. Mm-hmm. But we were talking about the the types of things that people who you know sort of go far in a given skill do and you know they practice and practice and practice and he said well i never see because i i'm on him to practice a bit and he said well i never see you practice and i said you know you're right you're right my now i'm at the point where my work is my practice i work Mm -hmm. enough that every time i go to work i am practicing but when i was younger i lived in front of a television set Mm -hmm. and just absorbed it like 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 Siler, you know, just I just would, you know, take in whatever I was watching. And I actually watched less television today than I ever have in my life. But I realized in that conversation, I need to get back to watching more television, whether I think it rots my mind or not. I've got to start, you know, getting the eye of the tiger and working on more new characters and that type of thing. Hmm. Um, so as a child, I really didn't intend to get into show business. When you're growing up in Canada, the idea of show business is just it's another planet you know i mean i remember i remember being a kid and watching like the brady bunch and my first you know celebrity crush was on maureen mccormick and you know <laughs> going she just she's a universe away from me i mean i wanted to ask her out on a date but it's like she lives in hollywood and i'm in, up here in, in canada shoveling the driveway um you know so it wasn't that i set out to become an actor or even thought i could be a a child actor as a kid it was just i just had to regurgitate television hmm. i thought you know I, I was i was not a popular child right a little awkward and um but i thought the way to get people to like me was to parrot their favorite shows so i would you know watch you know uh one of the first things that ever came out of my mouth was the uh was the of mice and men parody that was on the old warner brothers cartoons you know hmm. the, the uh which way did he go, George? Which way did he go? <laughs> George is my friend. You know, and he's a little five-year-old kid walking to school going, which way did he go, George? Which way did he go? And all my friends are going, you're weird. <laughs> you know, but I just wasn't, no, no, because I liked it. It was funny when I did, when I was watching the cartoon, why don't you, oh, well, I'll keep doing it. Maybe I'm not doing it well enough. Which way did he go, George? Which way did he go? And, and so I just began to just take all that stuff in, never knowing I was ever going to be able to spin it into any kind of a career. And, uh, you know, around about high school time, I did the first. The first thing I ever did was a, um, you know, high school variety show, and just got a standing ovation for doing seven impressions in four minutes and a sort of faux Ed Sullivan show, mm-hmm. and not sucking. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that I did, you know, you know, even the passable uh, Ed Sullivan, yeah. you know, in in the in the tenth grade, 
was like worthy of a standing ovation. Never mind the fact that I did Tony Curtis and Peter Falk mm -hmm. and Johnny Carson. So, and I can't remember that act to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just one of those one of those things. So I mean, here was this approval that came from the audience, and like th you know, three years later, I didn't I I got kicked out of high school for lack of attendance uh, hmm. because I preferred to just sit down in the cafeteria and everybody else's free period whether i had one or not just entertain the kids <laughs> doing my voices you know and finally they went you know you haven't attended enough classes you if you went to every class from here on in you wouldn't be able to make up your year so we gotta push you out the door and tell you to go get a real job and if you're ever playing vegas well i'll send you some tickets hmm. so you know i was out in the real world and this club called yuck yucks opened up in toronto and um Show, show enough, I, I went down with my little five minutes of stand-up comedy and, uh, you know, had a good had a good open mic night and got made a regular and began to slowly build material and moved mm. out here and did stand-up. The very first thing I did, though, was in Canada, animation-wise. It was for Nelvana Films. It was mm. something I did with... It was Garrett Morris from Saturday Night Live. Mm. And it was uh, the Easter Rabbit Roast and uh, all these anthropomorphic versions of St Steve Martin. He was a horse, so he would... He was Steed Martin. Ah. Don <laughs> Rickles was Don Rattles, a rattlesnake. Ah. And uh, I, I voiced these characters for them. They'd see me at Yuck Yucks, and I came in and, and uh, you know, just did, uh, you know. Were you born that ugly lady? you <laughs> you got to be a Jew lady. You're the only one here with a stole on. It's 105 for crying out loud. <laughs> You're either a Jew or an old beaver in heat. Anyway, gang. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's that I got... Started that was the very first, and when I saw the check, I went, Wow, this voiceover thing is really cool because hmm. it's an actual you know, you don't have to do you know a week at a comedy club to make the kind of money I made for one cartoon. So, yeah, hmm. I thought that was kind of a neat little side road. And, um, that was that, that was I was off and running, and Howie Mandel moved down here ahead of me, and we were friends up in Toronto, and he just kept calling me up and going, Mo, Mo, wait, what? No, no, wait, Mo, wait, what? No, okay, 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 what? <laughs> and I'd go, it's long distance, Howie. It's costing you a fortune. And he told me, you know, I've got to move down here. I've just simply got to move down. So he was you know, trying to convince me to move down here, and uh, on a wing and a prayer and no green card, um, my first wife and I did, and played the comedy store, had good luck there, and, you know, again, fell sideways into voiceovers from stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. So, even though you had done some voiceovers in, in Canada, when you came out here, that was not your intention? No, no, it was, all, it was always stand-up comedy. Yeah. Stand-up comedy was what, what, what was the prize that I had my eye on. Mm -hmm. um, I saw myself getting a sitcom or, you know, movies or something like that. And um, and one night, the voiceover agent from the William Morris Agency, who, who I was with for stand-up comedy, for mm -hmm. personal appearances, was in the audience. She happened to be the best friend of my personal appearance agent. And uh, she said, you know, you could do something in voiceovers with all the impressions you do. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, that's fine. I kind of wanted my own sitcom at $100,000 a week. But uh, sure, uh, I guess I could go and audition. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> anyway... So I, I started to, and it took me about a year. And, and, and what happened was I found myself going from, eh, to, tell me I'm going to get a job. I am going to get a job. This is ridiculous. I'm not getting. So about a because it's a very tough game to break into. Mm -hmm. It was a very closed community. But once you sort of pass through the door and you're in, you start to work. Work begets work. And what I had found out, I'd become friends with Frank Welker through Howie Mandel. They were doing a sketch comedy show. The Frank was already the king of voiceover. And Frank had been touting me huh. all that year, from the hmm. first time I called him up and said I got my very first cartoon audition to the time I finally got a job. Uh, I found out from everybody I read for, oh, you're the guy Frank Welker's been telling us about. Hmm. Which just speaks to the generosity of Frank Welker. Wow, yeah. And, and, and to voice actors in general. I think they're just a less ego-driven lot. Than, than, you know, some on-camera people. Um, and, um, you know, it, it just, it sort of blossomed, you know, and went forward. And, you know, the Inspector Gadget was the very first regular thing I did. Hmm. I, I played the chief. And oh. then that spun into Ghostbusters. Yeah. 
very funny doing Ghostbusters. Okay, not very funny. Mildly funny. <laughs> okay. Um, we were all reading for it, and the, you know, the room was full of you know, every comic and, and voiceover person that I knew. But they were only reading two people for Winston Zedmore. Mm-hmm. And that was Arsenio Hall yeah. and Ernie Hudson, who had played Winston in the movie. Mm-hmm. And they were the only two guys there reading for that part. And Arsenio I, and I knew each other from stand-up, and he mouthed the words, what the F am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right to me. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so <clears throat> they told us two things. They didn't want sound-alikes and, you know, uh, make it your own. And uh, they told us that if you played the guy in the movie, you won't get the part. Because evidently, <laughs> <laughs> Ernie went in red, Arsenio went in red, and the week later we found out Arsenio and I each saw each other at the comedy. So I got the part. I did too. You know, it was like <laughs> amazing. And I was doing as close to a Harold Ramis as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. I broke the rule. But um, because at that time I didn't really know much about building a character from scratch, I only did right. impressions. Hmm. So, well, how did how did how did you learn about that? Um, kind of my own method. I I, I sort of thought uh, fly chamber, you know, the chamber from the fly. Oh right, okay. You know, have put two people in hmm. and oh. blend them and have them come out as an original character. Right. Um, I mean. Toucan Sam, which I've been doing, which I took over after Paul Freeze died. Hmm. For me, I realized I needed to blend Paul Freeze's actual voice with a Ronald Coleman impression hmm. because that's what Paul had done. Hmm. And everybody hmm. else who had read for it was doing a pure Ronald Coleman impression. And hmm. they told me that was the reason. I said, you're doing Paul doing Ronald yeah. Coleman. Mm-hmm. That's why you got it. So, you know, it's sort of the, that, that, you know, two into one kind of a thing. Has worked. Has worked for me. I explained about you know Margaret Dumont and yeah. Charles Lawton and yeah. uh, Charles yeah. Lawton for hedonism bot. That, fa- <laughs> that fascinates me. That I'm sorry. That just like I forgot. I didn't. I never knew. Not even I forgot. I never knew you did the chief in Inspector Gadget. Here's your I, assignment, Gadget. Yeah, I was Walter Cronkite basically. <laughs> <laughs> and your freaking Toucan Sam. <laughs> this is really awesome. Follow your nose. It always knows. Kellogg's Fruit Loop cereal with natural orange, lemon, and cherry flavors. <laughs> Weird. Um, but uh, now, would you say that, uh, like, of all the characters that you've that you've done, whether it be like an impression or something, uh, is there one that you say this one is is my favorite? It's my favorite to do. I enjoy myself so much when I do it. Or are they all kind of like that? No, some are much more fun than others. It, okay. it depends on how facile I am while I'm in the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it has to do with how much character, how much time the character buys me, <laughs> yeah. which is why I like doing like I love doing Shatner, even yeah. though I'm only the third best Shatner impressionist, maybe the fourth. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I have to give credit to Jess Harnell. He's he's Shatner's neighbor, so he also does an excellent one. <laughs> but I, I I to me, Kevin Pollock does the best, followed mm-hmm. by Kevin Michael Richardson. Hmm. Uh, and then uh, probably Jess, and um, <clears throat> but when I do William Shatner, I <laughs> have all kinds of time <laughs> to think about what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do. A, I actually thought it'd be fun to do <laughs> to do Shatner just doing TV theme songs as though they're you know deep drama like the rocket man thing right. where he tried to make that a you know perf- street performance art in 1978 there's a hold up in the bronx brooklyn's broken out in fights there's a traffic jam in harlem that's backed up to jackson heights there's a scout troop short a child cruise ships do it out a while Car 54, where <laughs> are you? <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to do an album of those. <laughs> that would, we, uh, we've, we've had a guest on the show who, uh, he was on Comedy Central's Beat the Geeks. He was the TV geek, yeah. uh, Paul Goebel. And he, uh, he has an album that you can buy of him, and he has kind of a boisterous voice, mm-hmm. uh, singing various TV themes. And only when you... You know, only when you like really hear, because he like really belts it out, you can hear every lyric. And 
only when you hear it spoken or hear it like really put out there, you realize like these songs are awful. <laughs> these are. I actually love the theme to Car Fifty Four. Well, no, it just I mean it can be catchy. I mean that's the thing is like yeah. I I find myself because because <laughs> uh, on his podcast, the Paul Goble Show, he will sometimes end it with one of the songs that he that he did. I cannot get the Perfect Strangers theme out of my head, and I find myself singing it to myself in the car. Like they're 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 completely. Uh, Who wrote the Perfect Strangers? Oh, I don't know. Uh, Not same, Alan Thicke. I don't think so. Okay. But like that same group that did. You'd be all amazed those. at how much Alan Thicke has written out there in terms of TV themes. He did. Yeah, that was. Uh, he never needed to go into acting. He he already had. He's got an odd a career. mansion based on all of his TV theme songs that he wrote. What's the what's the most famous? Did he do Facts of Life? Facts of Life. That's right. That's okay. Right. Different strokes. <laughs> Why did he go into acting then? I mean, you know, it's fun. I guess it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> he went into talk show hosting too. I did the very first episode. Uh, I did the I didn't it wasn't even an episode of his show. It was him stepping in for guest hosting for Alan Hamill who'd stepped away from the show and they just kind of, you know, like let go of the wheel and so they did like a month of of guest hosts. To try and find his replacement up in Vancouver back in 1981, I think it was. And I just, Alan was the first guest host, the first show, and he even didn't bother to shave his beard. He was a bearded <laughs> television producer, songwriter. And I was on his very first show, so we've always had that kind of special bond. Of, that was my first national TV appearance in Canada, and it was his very first time hosting a show. So hmm. every time I see him, we talk about, isn't that, isn't that fun how we started out together? But um, <clears throat> he still won't loan me money. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so what else? What, 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 what else well, do you want to know? Come on, boys. This show more. has kind of turned into an interview. We, like, I'm all right with that. Normally we have sort of a topic, and we had wanted to talk about what sort of your favorite uh, vocal performances in movies are. Like, uh, I mean, I, I'm okay with like TV Shirley shows Bassey's as well. Shirley Goldfinger? Uh, we, uh, no, I, you mean like a... Like a <laughs> well, like... For example, uh, on one of the episodes that we just uh, mentioned, like um, in the movie The Incredibles, like I feel like Craig T. Nelson does such a good job, you know. And and granted, he's not strictly like a voiceover guy, like really not right, not at Worcester. all. Yeah. But I cannot. He does such a great job. It's a very organic performance. Yeah, I mean, because there are moments when he has to kind of be amusing by doing this big boisterous superhero voice but you have to believe that it comes from somewhere real mm -hmm. within the character absolutely and so to me like that that as far as recent like recent films that to me is a is a great vocal performance that no one would ever think of like no one would ever think like hey you know who would do a great vocal performance as a superhero craig t nelson coach you know and so I he mean, was so fantastic as the monster in flesh gordon <laughs> he really was actually hysterical i gotta say i never saw flesh gordon not brilliant. yet a brilliant brilliant film <laughs> any any film that has the scientist character walk off the spaceship the the phallic spaceship yeah. on an on an alien planet the door opens up he steps out and goes good <laughs> There's oxygen on this planet. <laughs> Genius. Genius. I guess I have to see this now. Oh, That's hilarious. Um, but uh, but yeah, and so um, so yeah, I, I, we kind of sprung the the topic on you a little bit, and so I mean, just so just really off the top of your head, like in the last few years, like have there been any movies like Pixar or otherwise um, that you really you heard somebody's performance, whether it be you know a, a seasoned voice actor. Or you know uh, an on-screen actor, and you said that's that really is exactly how that should have been. Well, Asner sounds like he's going to be terrific in Up. I haven't yeah. seen you know I did not go to the premiere. Yeah, uh, but Asner sounds like he's going to be great. Um, all the uh, to me, all the performances in Team America. I'm not talking about my own, but right. all those. I mean, just the fact that most of those are are Trey. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Um, you know, those were great. Um, it's something that nobody really talks about that much with the South Park guys that along with being, I think, brilliant writers and great satirists, they're doing all those voices themselves, all them, you know, yeah. and, and granted, like, I mean, I they expanded the cast to maybe five other people for right. the movie, but yeah. for the most part, it's, it's Matt and Trey, you know, they, they brought Masasa and, and, um, 
God, she was. Oh goodness. IMDb it please. No, <laughs> I, the, the the beautiful girl who played the girlfriend in it, who was on oh, that I spy show. Goodness, hope she's not listening. She's a sweetheart. Um, and then Phil Hendry, I think, was in Hendry it as well. Hendry was in it. <clears throat> I got to do Alec Baldwin. Originally, Alec Baldwin wanted to do Alec Baldwin. And yeah. He begged to do it, and yeah. they said no, because <laughs> they thought if he got a look at the script and what they were doing and the, and the, the oh, sacred he didn't... cows that they were you okay. know, slaughtering. I had heard that about that, like uh, Matt Damon wanted to, like there were more than one people. Person well, Clooney who wanted, to, wanted to, I, too, I think, but you yeah. know, I don't think uh, they didn't want any of the celebrities anywhere near it. I do know that with 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 Alec, they definitely told me Alec wants to do it, and we we know he'll slap a cease and desist order when he, on it if he sees <laughs> what we're doing to him and all of his friends. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so they just went with my impression of Alec, and and uh, you know, so I got to I got to say one day. Look back on this world us actors helped create and say, "Good going, fag." <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you can have a career where you get to say a line like that, you, you go, "That's going on the headstone." <laughs> um, do you, oh, go ahead. Do you find it when? Uh, do you feel like uh, animated performances should be voiced by people who are part of that the, your circle, or do do you, do you feel like a a, a twinge when? Uh, someone's cast, like say Renee Zellweger in what was it, Shark, Shark Tale? Tale? Like, okay, I, I, I mean, you know, if if it were Billy West sitting in this chair, you'd get a half an hour on the topic. <laughs> uh-huh. This is Billy's, uh, you know, uh, pet peeve. Um, but w- as far as I'm concerned, I mean, they're actors. I'm, I, I'm an actor. They're actors. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all actors. There's enough acting work out there for all of us. Um, you know, when I, you know, whenever. I, <laughs> I have a I have a line that I just amuse myself with, but anytime I see a big star, I just you know, and somebody if I'm with a, a friend from back home or something like that, and they get all impressed, I go, they're just a lucky waiter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, any big star we have today, you know, two two five years ago they were waiting tables. I actually mm-hmm. met a guy the other night who reminded me, and he's he was a, an actor from Mad TV, reminded me that he used to wait on me ten years ago at a, mm-hmm. at, a at a restaurant in uh, Beverly Hills. And, you know, it was great to see that he succeeded, but it puts it in perspective. In fact, my, one of my first stand-up bits was, you know, famous stars back when they worked as waiters. I had Carson as a waiter, and I had, uh-huh. uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone as a waiter. But, you know, so I don't take it away from them. They've, they've just had, you know, luckier you know breaks to be in front of the camera and get the bigger paychecks. But voice acting in and of itself is, is uh, if they can pull it off, I don't begrudge them the work, mm-hmm. you know. There are times though where, where I'll look at, at at a film and go, boy, did you did you really need, you know, that guy from the sitcom to play, you know, monkey number five? Mm-hmm. Could that one have gone to me? Maybe you know, I mean, it's <laughs> no. self interested when I say that, but right. on on the whole, everybody's an actor. So if they can pull it off and they can remember to, you know, keep the performance here right. rather than in their eyes. I mean, if they have to work that way too, that's fine. Right. But some some. Actors work so physically, they forget that there's no camera there to pick that up. It's just a microphone. Be interesting with your voice. Put it all in the voice. Um, but I don't. I don't sit there going, you know. <sighs> and yet, New York Times did a poll that 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 uh, showed that a, a fully, I believe, sixty percent of the people polled said that whether or not an animated film has a big star in it matters not I, ha- I and, absolutely think that's and true. Little Mermaid the most successful animated film to come out of Disney has n- mm-hmm. no you know marquee name stars I mean Roscoe Lee Brown may be the biggest star in the thing it's got Buddy Hackett Buddy Hackett and, Hackett, and, Hackett, and Buddy Hackett Roscoe <laughs> Lee Brown and, and Pat Carroll you know um, yeah. so you know I, I'm of I'm of uh, I'm of no particular mind on it. Um, it you know it's all fair game but when when you get into the stunt casting of even the minor roles, you know there are. I know that my voiceover brethren and I sometimes feel a little twinge. Going, okay, couldn't she have used a meat and potatoes guy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a journeyman voice actor for that character. Three lines. Come on, you know. Yeah. Um, and yet, some every once in a while, I, I don't think it happens really that often. But like somebody who is a name, not to imply that like Craig T. Nelson isn't a name, but he's just not. He's not like a list or anything like that, um, but like sometimes, like just the right actor, like 
in my view, I can't imagine anybody other than Jeremy Irons doing oh, the voice of Scar. Great. It, it's just first off because he just has a great voice anyway. But like, and every every once in a while that'll that'll happen where it's I mean. Toy Story had two of the biggest star. I mean, Tom Hanks is still a big star. Tim Allen still everyone knows who he is, and but at the time he had like the biggest sitcom, uh-huh. and Tom Hanks had the a huge. And they movie both career. delivered terrific vocal performances. Great performances. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could do the work. Yeah, and to the point that I can't imagine anybody else doing it. Right. You know, um, but if they'd have made that <laughs> film with, with, uh, you know. Billy West and John DiMaggio in those parts. Right. If they'd never heard of, or they just, you know, they didn't have the budget for it, and they had the yeah. same script, it probably would have been terrific too. Oh yeah, there's no you know. question about it. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I, I didn't mean to uh, say like they did so well, no one else could do anything. No, with no, but it, you but did. But, but that's the thing. We can't hear anybody else in those parts. And even right. when they try to replace, as they did with the TV version, with a terrific actor, Patrick Warburton, mm-hmm. but Patrick Warburton wasn't Tim Allen. So for yeah. me, the TV version of Buzz Lightyear didn't work yeah. because Buzz was Tim, you know, yeah. with with that same kind of thrown away, kind of yet superheroish, freewheeling yeah. style uh, that, that, that worked for the character, you know. Um, you know, uh, people say, you know, to bring it back to me, because I am your guest, um, <laughs> you know, they can't imagine anybody else in the roles of Pinky and the Brain. Yeah. Besides me and, and, and myself and Rob Paulson. Yeah. Yet it, Rob Paul, uh, Pinky was almost John Aston. Hmm. That was, uh, he was, uh, John Aston was the first pick at the end of the, at the end of the first day of casting for Pinky. And it wasn't until day two, because they had two full days of seeing absolutely everybody, that when Rob Paulson came in, they went, no, no, it's Rob. That is an interesting bit of information because, because, like you said, I mean, I can't imagine. Not only can I not imagine anybody except Rob Paulson, I certainly, and I, I'm somebody who every time I see like John Aston, I, I, I like him. I always think he's funny. I think he's kind of a quirky actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, always interesting. Yeah, and I can't imagine what he would have done with it. I'm sure it would have been interesting, but just not, you know, when you think of what that character is. And yet, Aston and Rob Paulson did another villainous duo on Tasmania that were. Oh, that's right. What I thought was t- that was terrific was 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 Bull and Gator. Yeah. Aston had the brilliant idea of doing a cheerful villain. Yeah. Nothing got him down. Well, come on, let's come on, Axel, let's go get that Tasmanian devil and grind him up in the meat. You know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, but everything was done as an upbeat, happy thing. Yeah. You know, and 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 you just didn't get. You don't see cheery villains. Everybody plays a villain as, as <laughs> good evening, welcome to mystery. You know, <laughs> that sort of Vincent Price drooling kind of yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. That was brilliant. But I, I don't know what Pinky and the Brain would have been like or if it would have lasted with just with me and John Aston. I was yeah. the brain right out the gate, apparently. Right. Although I did come across a tape. I guess it was an agent submission. Um, and, uh, you know, they... For those of you out there that you know think that your tape gets listened to, <laughs> if it's unsol- if it's unsolicited, and even if it is solicited, they recycle the tapes. So mm. and now everything's done over the internet. But I got a cassette, and on on one side I was just trying to discard as much as I could. But I saw it was one of the rehearsal cassettes for the songs on Animaniacs. On one side was the song, and on the other side was the auditions from a particular voice actor for the original. You know, pre-submissions for Animaniacs, and it was John Delancey reading the lines hmm. for the brain, and I thought, well, he might have been an interesting choice. Now, honestly, Q. I don't, I don't know who that is right off the He's top. Q of my head. from the Star Trek Next oh. Generation. Yeah, I thought he might have made an interesting choice for for hmm. the brain. So it could have been Q and and Gomez as Pinky <laughs> and the Brain. <laughs> Um, now I know that uh, you've got somewhere to be, so I want to I want to wrap it up. But I was actually curious uh, because I'm enjoying myself. Okay, if you want to yak on a little longer, they they can. Fair they, they can stand outside my house. They can let themselves <laughs> in the backyard and just start swimming. Go ahead. Um, but the uh, I did want to get back to brain because, of course, uh, when we when we first met a couple years ago, I uh, you know I, I expressed that I absolutely love Orson Welles, and you mentioned that. Uh, that you were the first, you know, you were brain right out of the gate. Um, when they cast you, did they say, uh, we'd like to cast you, and if you could do your Orson Welles impression, that'd be great? Like, no. Or is that just something that you brought to it and they... They had no idea who the brain was going to sound like. Okay. Because the brain, the model sheet for the brain is, is he, he actually was based on Tom Minton, 
<laughs> an animation writer who worked at Hanna Barbera and Warner Brothers, is a good friend of John Christopher Lucy's. Um, and if you you know Google Google image search him, you'll see hmm. exactly w- how you know you'll see the resemblance between the brain and Tom. But I didn't see that that sort of hooded brow and the the jowls and they they put a slightly sinister sinister you know overall cast to his face. I looked at that and saw Wells immediately, mm-hmm. and you know with my tremendous ego powers, I, I immediately assumed, oh, they created this character for me. Yeah. So <laughs> I just went in, and I guess part of that confidence, I'm just going, oh, they created the character for me, so I'll just... Because they knew I had this tendency, this penchant for doing the Wells uh, Frozen Foods rant whenever there yeah. was a lull. <laughs> if, if they needed to you know, look at storyboard again or just discuss something and, you know, about the last take... They, you know, they they don't let us. They come off the button, so it's just a pantomime against a glass screen of people arguing. And so, if it, you know, no matter who was in there, whether it was just myself, or it was me and somebody else, if we didn't start talking, I'd just sit there and go, "We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. You really mean that? <laughs> don't you think you really want to say July over the snow? Isn't that the fun of it? <laughs> Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July and I'll go down on you. <laughs> and and so I thought, oh, they created this character because they know that I, that I do wells and they love my wells. Little did I know everybody wants to strangle me in the business for that Orson Welles <laughs> thing because no matter – because half the time directors didn't know whether I was secretly giving them a little a – little, you know, shot with the, you know, channeling Wells's <laughs> venom towards his director and analogizing it to what they were doing at the mm. time. So, and I never was. I was just killing time. I just wanted to, you know, make it pass. And I always felt that that voice particularly warmed up my voice and opened mm. it up. So, um, anyway, I went in, read it as Wells, and walked out and. I didn't learn until much later that they literally cast me on the spot, but they didn't offer me the part on the spot. They just went, that was great, Mo. That was perfect. And off I went on my day, hmm. hoping I, hoping that I gave them what they want, considering they drew the character based on my Orson Welles, but thinking, well, you know, a couple other guys do a voice too, so you know, could, could be Jim Cummings, could be, yeah. you know. Um, and was delighted when I got it, and it was, you know, just so, it was written so specific to character and the relationship that it was just a joy to do. But, yeah, apparently that morning, boom, right there they went. I had the 9 a.m. slot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, they just cast it right there and they spent the rest of the two days looking for Pinky. It's, it is interesting uh, talking to, um, you know, back when I was in high school, when I first really started getting into film, uh, I, f- I fell in love with Orson Welles as a director and as an actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, and, and that's when I realized, like, wait a minute. <laughs> this guy's a lot like the brain, and just and then I realized like, oh no, that was probably intentional. I'm I'm an idiot. Um, but but when I would, yeah. but I would. Uh, Do you want to know something odd though that they didn't know because they created the characters of Pinky and the Brain, not knowing he would sound like Wells? Okay. Rita Hayworth and Orson Welles, when they were an item, were known mm. throughout Hollywood as Beauty and the Brain. Ah, yeah. interesting. That's, that's awesome. I love stuff beauty like that. Beauty and the brain, their beauty. Oh, I better not sing too much. We'll have to send <laughs> money to Warner Brothers. Um, um, but like, I I remember I, I uh, a friend of mine uh, who liked to make fun of my movie tastes. Uh, he said he I had never seen There's Something About Mary, and and he's like he goes I tell you what, I'll watch that movie Citizen Kane. If you watch There's Something About Mary, and I was like done. You got a deal. <laughs> and so and I I. You know, uh, I like to think everybody won. But uh, when he came back, he's like, that guy, he didn't know the name. He goes, that guy, he looked and sounded a lot like, he's like, I I started laughing because he looked and sounded a lot like the brain from (laughs) Pinky and the Brain. I was like, funny story. And then I and I told him that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, um, has has there been any um, and I think this may wind up being one of our one of our last questions, but uh, have there been – are there any characters that – because you mentioned that, uh, like, for, in, for instance, the brain, you kind of warm your voice up with it and that there are some that are easier to do. Are there characters that you've done in the past that just 
you like doing them, but they're just really difficult. Like they put a strain on your voice or, or Popeye. R- really? There were th- in 1987, 88, they attempted to revive the franchise by giving Popeye a son. Hmm. And po- they had Popeye and Olive Oil married, and they, you know, their, 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 their son, you know, lived, lived on the beach, surfed, uh, et cetera. So really, the, every episode pretty much began with Popeye. Uh, and all of, you know, eating breakfast going, Well, son, what adventure are you off gone today? Well, whatever you do, don't forget your spinach. <laughs> but, you know, it's a killer. And yeah. uh, some episodes, he was more involved than others. And But that's a, that's a, throat, sh- uh, a throat shredder. And uh, yeah. the other one's Yosemite Sam, which hmm. s- since Mel died, uh, I've done probably 90% of the Yosemite Sam work out hmm. there. And to do it right, uh, you have to do it the way Mel did it. And Mel yeah. writes in his autobiography that he always insisted on doing it on Fridays because mm. he needed the weekend to recover. You've got to go all the way with that voice. You know, there's <laughs> no way to do it quietly. So, yeah. Huh. So, That's, you know, we have some, a couple of the other guys would do it, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't right. push the old you-know-whats to the wall. So. Mm. That's well, the, oh go ahead. I, I was going to wrap up. Oh okay. Well, I was going <laughs> to say that 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 is one of the things that I that I really respect about like just really good hardworking, as you said, like a journeyman voice actor is it's just as opposed to I mean you know I I don't want to speak ill of, of anybody, but like as opposed to some some like big name celebrities like who you don't really feel a lot of commitment from them, but like you know I mean. If you look at like Billy West or 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 yourself or really like um, oh what's her name Tress McNeil, um, they all just they do what is required of them they and they are just there and they are they 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 are in, you know just immersed in the characters and and asking to do new takes and you know just mm-hmm. to, to not you know if they you know they're feeling that it wasn't funny enough you know they they are to- they're totally committed to the craft of voice acting they have nowhere else to be in other words. You know, this is what this is what they do, and I'm I'm the same way. You know, this, this is my this is what I do. So, and it's and it's be and and frankly, to end on kind of a, a sentimental note, um, the the reason like there are some people who might not say that like voice acting is acting, uh, and bring them to me, <laughs> right? I bring just, them to me. <laughs> I shall drag them on my day and let them watch, watch as real actors act without makeup, without lighting, without hair. <laughs> and so for this reason, um, you know, uh, I'll I, kick I w- him in the nuts. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, oh, oops. Um, and I, I you just know, did that to make me feel better, didn't you? What? Because I banged my mom. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's all about comfort for the guests. Thank you. Um, but I, I, I'm, I, we talked about it earlier. Like, I don't really want to talk to. I don't like seeking out actors if they're in a room and saying, "Hey, I'm a big fan." But I did have a, I do have a little mental list of people that like, if I see this person, I have to say something. And you were always on that list because just the way that you, because you are one of my favorite actors, oh, whether you. you're a voice actor or not, oh, does not make a difference. Very and, kind, thank you. And uh, and so the art of voice acting is something that I, I really, f- it, it fascinates me. And hopefully, you, the listener, uh, hopefully it. it fascinates you as well and it's and it's worth seeking out like people like uh rob paulson and billy west um who just uh just absolutely do absolutely dazzling things with with their voice so uh so i kind of want to end wanted to end on that note so okay well uh normally we have a guest i would ask where can people see you but where where can people hear you i guess uh well we've just uh, we we, we're we are waiting to hear if there might possibly by some great miracle, be more Futuramas. We hope. Mm. We're hoping. We're hoping that uh, after all this SAG business settles down, that uh, maybe we might do a little something else in nice. in there. But it's nothing. Nothing's promised. Nothing's sure. We just are hoping. I, certainly, nobody can see a reason not to because right. all four mm-hmm. movies have done extremely well in DVD sales. Yeah. You know, the directed the direct to Blu-ray format has worked extraordinarily well for. Mm. For uh, and DVD for uh, for these movies, um, and uh, you know, so we're we're hoping there's going to be some more Futurama, um, and uh, and 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 to get a look, 
<laughs> at, uh, at at what we do. I actually made a couple of very very casual YouTube videos okay. of uh, Rob Paulson and I teaching you how to do uh, teaching you how to do the voices of Pinky and the Brain. <laughs> nice. And uh, and I, my original one, which was just on a complete lark, I was driving along with Bill Bigger, who used to produce all the promos for Pinky and the Brain at the WB, and uh, we just whipped out a camera because I said, you know. Uh, Two days from now, it's going to be William Shatner's birthday. We should uh, we should do International Talk like William Shatner Day. There's International <laughs> Talk like a Pirate Day. How about International <laughs> Talk like William Shatner Day? So he just whips out, you know, my uh, you know Canon, you know, Sure Shot or whatever it is, and puts it in movie mode. And I just talk to the camera for five minutes and instruct people how to do William Shatner. <laughs> and it got it's gotten like forty thousand hits on YouTube. So. You can just search International Talk Like William Shatner Day. <laughs> get a look at my f- my fat face. <laughs> and they all understand why I'm in voiceover. Oh, anyway, um, no. That ends on a sad note. Oh, it's okay. I like being a hefty guy. I can eat whatever I want and still be talented. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, Thank it was a blast. I had a tremendous, a tremendous amount of fun with you guys. And all right. I'm so glad that we all are carnivores so. <laughs> yeah absolutely if i was a vegetarian this day would never have happened so thank indeed. you very much I've indeed had fun. i've had fun screw you Peter. um so uh to the listeners the um the donation drive is over the the, the winners of the raffle will be announced in in two weeks in two weeks the uh that's that's the like the second monday in june i think is yeah. when that's going to go up uh so congratulations to everyone uh, you'll find out in two weeks yeah <laughs> so. um and, and until uh, uh, next yeah, time, you can you can follow us follow the Battleship Pretension on Twitter at twitter.com/slash/thepretension. You can email us David at battleshippretension.com or Tyler at battleshippretension.com. You ran out of breath there. I did. All right then. I don't I don't have the skills of our there guests. There you here. go. There you go. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.